Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast. Explosions and fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And this week on the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast, we're talking about Gen Con. And I'll start by saying that although I've been a D&D player for a very long time, I really didn't know a whole lot about Gen Con until I decided to go this year. Yeah, and I am most envious. I was actually supposed to go with you, but got stuck with some stuff here, the old usual real life creeping in the way. But you know, it's it's a really exciting thing, and we're really excited to have a little bit of a bigger presence next year. So looking forward to talking about it a bit. Oh, yeah. So every moment, Aaron, that I was there, I was just fantasizing about what the Infernal Schoolhouse booth would look like and what we would be doing and what we'd be wearing. <laughs> That's great. So I had an Infernal Schoolhouse shirt while I was there, which I wore probably way too much. No doubt. We'll have to get another one that way. It's not like, you know, the bat suit here that's, you know, unwashed, but that would be nice. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who don't know, Gen Con actually stands for the Lake Geneva, Lake Geneva Wargaming Convention. And it's actually started by Gary Gygax in 1968. And it has grown insanely large since it first came out. Actually, he helped fund that first convention by spending $50. I mean, I know it's 1968 money, but still that's that's not much compared to just recently they had, you know, $300,000 worth of Magic the Gathering cards stolen from, you know, the the convention. So just that one little thing off of a pallet was stolen from something that's way bigger than that. So I know there's all sorts of vendors and cool stuff, and I'm really excited to, you know, pick your brain a little bit about it. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really interesting about it, too, as you just mentioned, is it precedes Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. So it was a wargaming convention. And I will say that this was far from a DD convention while dungeons and dragons has a pretty big presence there there are so many types of things going on there including family friendly cute little tabletop games you know <laughs> like little it's like your little bunnies and you're hopping through the forest and then you roll dice to find out how many berries you find you know so it's <laughs> all the, the whole spectrum yeah, and I, I can imagine that that original convention is probably very similar to whenever we go to the hobby town and then play miniature gaming there. I'm sure it's that sort of crowd and that sort of low rent thing, but it's amazing to see what it is now and how incredible it is and how much it takes grip of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I would say like the tentpole games, obviously D and D, but Pathfinder, their booth was like huge. It was probably four or five, the size of four or five regular booths. Mm -hmm. Tons of Warhammer. Magic, which is, you know, really related to d and I guess, just because the Wizards of the Coast, but they had sure. a, a really huge presence there as well. But I was also just struck with how many role-playing games there are. I mean, there, I would say hundreds, if not hmm. thousands of role-playing games, like actual systems that I saw there. You know, I, I remember, not to get off topic too much, but since you mentioned Magic the Gathering, I, I had like a small period in time when I was much younger and dabbled in that when it first came out. And I think that was my my first introduction to the weird economy of like trading cards and stuff. I mean, I had like baseball and football cards when I was a kid, but that never really actualized into any sort of money. But I remember I had like random decks and just random cards in Magic the Gathering were worth like $30. And all I did was just pull them out of a pack that I bought at the store. You know, it's just insane. Yeah. And now we're at the point where the one ring card, did you, did you hear what that, what that <laughs> yes, was purchased that's pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> so... Brian, let's dive a little bit into, you know, your trip to Gen Con, which, you know, is in Indianapolis, in case we hadn't already mentioned it, and we'll be there again next year. I think they extended the contract for another 10 years or so. But tell us about some of the things you were really excited to see while you were there. Yeah, well, first I'll say I'd never been to Indianapolis, and I didn't have any expectations, and it was a cute little town. And I will say also that 
you know, and Aaron, you know, I've talked about this, but gamers and gaming is not always something that's that's widely accepted. Mm-hmm. And as as you just mentioned, like they love Gen Con, like they're all about it. The city gets decked out for it and it takes over the better part of downtown. So the huge convention center complex, the stadium where the Colts play and pretty much every hotel within a half mile radius is has constantly got things going on. So it's most of downtown and it actually did my heart really well, really good. I'll, I'll say that one more time. It did my heart really good to see all of the Gen Con badges mm. all over the city, all the nerds, everywhere you look, every restaurant, and they were shopping bags and carrying source books and miniatures and, you know, bags heaping with games and things like that. And so I'd say that was actually maybe one of the biggest things that was a takeaway for me was that most of my life, I felt a little bit on the periphery of I wouldn't even say the periphery of cool, very far from cool mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and on the periphery of, of, you know, like mainstream. And the the biggest impression that I had was all of these people are here for the same reason that I'm here because they think this stuff is really cool. And it kind of lifted me up a little bit and made me feel like, wow, this is not a small community. This is a massive community with thousands upon thousands of people in, in your direct eyesight. Like when you walk into the the convention center and you you stand up high, you can you can literally see ten thousand people. Hmm. That's awesome. So, I mean, how would you how would you rate it compared to how large it was versus the fan expo that we went to here in Denver? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that too. So, first off, I would say the the management of of the entire event and the flow of traffic and the setup was excellent. Nice. I was I was really impressed that I really didn't have to wait in line to see things like to get onto the the floor where all of the booths were. I just walked right in. Food trucks, although a little bit farther away from the the main event, not tons of lines. The only thing that I was kind of heartbroken was at one point I was like, I'm gonna get some merch. Like I'm here, I'm gonna buy a hat or something. So I walk over to the booth and it's one of, it's a stanchioned off thing and it's like three or four you know lanes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's a little long, but I think I'm going to go for it. So I, I stand in line and this lady waves me down and I see that there's a break because of the traffic, the cross traffic. And this line goes probably a quarter of a mile down the hallway. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, it would, it seems like it would take you four hours to get through this line wow. to get a hat. So that was the only thing that I thought was weird, but compared to the Denver Fan Expo, I thought it was wonderful. And Aaron, I know you and I were at the Denver Fan Expo and it was a mess. Oh yeah. Like the time. lines were 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 crazy. There was bottlenecks everywhere. The organizers were like yelling at people <laughs> to go here and go there and don't come in here and all that kind of stuff and it was very stressful. By the time we actually made it out on the floor, I think we were all just like I need a drink. <laughs> Which then took another quarter mile line to get to. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 so what were some of uh, the favorite things that you saw there just from an attraction standpoint? Yeah, it was a, it was actually really gratifying because the event is so huge. It was so gratifying to go find specific things. So I made lists. I looked at the the little brochure. They had a, a virtual brochure and I just poured through this thing and I found a list of things that I really wanted to see and go find. And it was even if even if it wasn't going to buy anything, it was just really gratifying to be able to find. For instance, I wanted to see the Dwarven Forge booth. Mm. It was it was booth 1301. 
And it took me probably 20 minutes to figure out how to find it. And when I finally did, it was amazing. Nice. Um, so the list of things that I had, Dwarven Forge, Hero Forge, which is the online mini miniature design. Hero Forge, which is the online miniature design website. That mm -hmm. was really cool. It was basically just a couple of iPads and you could do what you could do anyway online, but I still thought it was cool. Nice. Um, Dwarven Forge was amazing. They had tons of amazing um, terrain laid out. I was really excited to see the Dungeon Dudes. You, Aaron, you know that, uh, that I, right. I'm really a big fan of those guys. And then Ginny D had a really great booth as well. And then some of the bigger third-party publishers like Goodman Games, Monty Cook Games, Kobold Press, they were all there. And there was another booth that I was really excited about, which is called Limithron. That's the, the, the sort of the handle of this guy. And he's made a new game called Pirate Borg. Hmm. And I'm really excited about that. So I did pick up that source book. And then he's also got Naval Combat Guides for 5e as well. So both of those are are coming up, Aaron, in your immediate future. <laughs> Indeed they are. I know that we'll be using those pretty soon. Yeah. And then I actually have a friend from Colorado Springs, Chip. He has a, a company called Squishy Games. And he was there demonstrating the game. And it was really fun. It was, I forget the name of the game, but it was basically like you were at a, a monster sushi restaurant. And you were, you and your other players are servers and you're trying to serve your customers the best you can. And it was very real world. Like they would get mad and they would complain to the manager and you could bribe the chef. I was like, Ooh, you guys have worked in service industry. I can tell. <laughs> now when you say monster sushi, you mean like these are humans eating monsters or are these no, are monsters eating like human carpaccio or something? Oh, no. Okay. So the, there was no humans involved. It was <laughs> the, the, the sushi chef was an octopus. Okay. And then all the, you know, there was like different types of monsters kind of reminded me of the sushi place in monsters incorporated maybe oh, that nice. was even the the inspiration for it cool nice all right that's awesome and so did you have any time while you were there to then do a little bit of role playing oh my gosh that was amazing so the dungeon dudes hosted a live play game and i didn't realize how lucky i was that i actually was able to snag a ticket it was quite expensive um, but i was happy to pay it but they hosted an event and there was a, a handful of other influencers there. And that game was really fun. I mean, I was in a childlike state of glee while I was playing that game. <laughs> and they had they'd done a really good job because they knew, of course, that guys like me, that, you know, that, that signed up were, were really wanted to play with them. And so they had designed this, this system where there was maybe 15 or 20 tables. Each one had a DM. And, but they were all, we were all playing one army with one objective, which was to take down the evil Lich. Mm. And the Lich was played by Monty, one of the dungeon dudes. And then these other influencers were heroes and they were bouncing around the tables. So narratively, it made a lot of sense because you had these like sort of superheroes that were coming in. And then the, the Lich was, you know, coming around and attacking the different parts of the army. But also from a design perspective, it was really cool because they gave us what we wanted. And you, Aaron, you know, I'm obsessed with the Dungeon Dudes and the Drakenheim campaign. I'm actually sure. wearing a Dungeon Dude shirt right now. <laughs> but so Kelly, who is one of the Dungeon Dudes, and he plays this character, Sebastian Crow. He came over to our table and he was like, I'm here to help. And he put his little mini of Sebastian Crow on the table next to my little mini. And I was just like... <gasps> Minis are touching. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so excited and I was geeking out and I was about to stress out because I'm like, I don't want to fanboy too hard, but I want to take pictures. But they had 
folks there to actually take pictures for us so that we could we could just focus on the game. I haven't seen the pictures yet, but I know my face is going to be beet red and I'm probably going to look like an idiot, but I was so very happy. That's awesome. That's great. And did you have a chance to role play with anybody else while you're there? That was the only game that I actually played in, mm-hmm. although I did watch quite a few games. Another highlight for me was Wizards of the Coast actually sponsored a live play game, mm-hmm. which was very fancy. Uh, when I got there, I was like, ooh, I might be at the wrong event because it was hosted. There was We each had two drink tickets and there was dinner provided and it was just a really kind of a swanky event. And I was like thinking to myself, how did I get this ticket for $2? And also I had seen a lot of folks online talking about, oh my God, I want to get a ticket for this. Can someone please sell me a ticket? I'll give you tons of money. And I didn't really understand what was happening until about 15 minutes before the show, they started playing commercials for the new D&D book, Big B's Book of Giants or whatever it's called. And I was like, oh, got it. It's a commercial, you know, it's like a advertisement. They're really pushing this book. And that explains how they spent so much money. But that show was incredible. It was really fun. It was very, very well crafted. And narratively, it just, it, it flew by. And you could tell that they had done a lot of work to create really intriguing relationships between the characters. And it was basically halflings and normal sized folks in the in the world of giants and it was a whole lot of fun and that was that was a really big deal and it it, one of the things that i loved about that too was when they were when the characters were playing there they would say like i'm gonna use blah and they would say the name of a of a new spell that and they're like this is you know this is in the new book but this is the first time you're seeing it and the crowd literally oohed and awed they were like (laughs) oh What? And I could hear people talking to each other like, oh, that's amazing. What is that? Oh, my gosh. And people are like taking notes. And so to me, it was it was just like they were experiencing what I was experiencing during, you know, during the the Dungeon Dudes event where it was just it was like this pure unbridled joy. They were like, oh, my God, there's a new subclass. Shut up. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. And also a lot of good sponsorship with those OGL dollars. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point, though. I think there's been a lot of accusations hurled at Wizards of the Coast for how much money they're trying to make. But they dropped a pretty penny at Jingon, for sure. <laughs> there was hundreds of us at that event. And uh, yeah, we, we, we ate and drank like kings. It was very fun. Nice. So, you know, hearing all this, I'm sure that it was really great to be with a bunch of people with shared interests. And, you know, I'm sure there was plenty of spectacle between everything you were seeing. Yeah. And again, I I sort of started by saying that, but I think it bears repeating. It did my heart good to see how many people are out there that that love role-playing games and tabletop games. And then lastly, Aaron, I'll just say one quick point. The thing that made me really proud was the inclusivity of the group. Mm. And so at the beginning of maybe half the events that I um, attended, including the live play with the Dungeon Dudes, they made very clear that there was a zero tolerance policy for any kind of bullying or sexism or racism or, Mm -hmm. you know, anything like that. And I, I think a lot of times on paper, you see it or you think about it and you're like, yeah, sure, of course. But they really made a huge effort to make sure that everyone was included and that whatever accommodations were needed would be made so that everyone could play these games and be a part of this. And although I don't, you know, I'm a heterosexual white guy, like boring, but I did appreciate 
that that was the case. And there was a couple of people who during those speeches at the beginning of events, you could just see their faces light up. Like, this is for me, like, I need this, or I've maybe not always had access to this type of inclusion. Wow, that's great. I always love to see that at a table. So was there anything that you saw, I guess, maybe from a trend standpoint, where you see the gaming world going right now? Yeah, that's a great point. I did, and again, this is my first time at Gen Con, but I, again, I was shocked how many systems are out there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think in my mind, I was like, oh, this is a D&D convention. And maybe I'll see some Pathfinder and maybe it'll be two or three other games. But I'm telling you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds (laughs) of games, including Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which I don't know why, but I'm just obsessed with that game. (laughs) And I I, I took me maybe better part of an hour to find the table that had it and then take a picture of it. And then I just sent it to everyone I know. And most people are like, why are you sending me this? <laughs> so did you read the content at all? Are we going to set up a game or? What no, I didn't. I didn't actually buy the book. I was, I had some, <laughs> can I afford to make it home concerns at that point at the con? So. <laughs> That's fair enough. It's always difficult going into place. Like yeah. That, for sure. Yeah. But, but I think that the sense that I got was this is a really, really great time for role-playing games and you know earlier this year i think we all had the fear that oh my gosh is this the end or is this the splintering or the fracturing but i saw a lot of evidence that it's really coming together and that there's a lot of alignment on we love tabletop role-playing games let's pick systems let's play new systems let's try it out and aaron i think that you and i are kind of echoing that as well right Right. where we're like okay we love D &D and we're going to continue to play D &D. duh but what else is out there and how can we involve ourselves, you know, learn the systems and bring other people into it? And then the other thing, too, that I, I think I've shared with you already offline, but dice. There's so much dice out there <laughs> yeah, that I was like, you know, at first we had talked about, like, we should sell dice. But I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say at least 40% of the tables that were at Gen Con were selling dice. Mm. And in my mind, I'm like, how do you even differentiate yourself? Because <laughs> a lot of these dice, they're gorgeous, gorgeous dice. But I mean... There's probably 30 tables with gorgeous dice, <laughs> expensive <For sure>. <laughs> dice. So there was a, there was actually a couple of categories that I've been interested in, in developing products and or even just wanting to buy products and see products. And I didn't see very many of them. So mm. maybe this is a little bit of a teaser for things to come. But Aaron, I think you and I, there's some places in this marketplace that are underserved. And I think there's some really cool ideas that you and I can work on. Yeah, I'm excited about looking into that. And, you know, when you talk about all those dice, it actually makes me think of the economics of mattress stores. You know, like when you're online, it's very hard, I think, to make money with dice. But when you're in a place like that, it is very much like the mattress store economy where you go into a store, you try out the mattress, you don't like it, you just go to the next store that has the mattress and you find one to pick one up because you're in the you're in the mattress buyer's market. So there's definitely a dice buyer's market. So put those tables together and then you're going to walk out with a bunch of dice. Yeah. And, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking about the game that I played at the table, the amount of dice that people were opening, <laughs> like they had just purchased them at the con. <laughs> there was probably $300 worth of dice that my fellow players and I were opening and pouring out onto the table. So excited to roll them. So, yes, I think you're right. <laughs> and can I also make a, I guess, a sad admission that I really don't like collecting dice. I, I have I have enough dice, I think, that I will ever need, including one that's made out of amethyst, which I really love, and I hope I don't lose like I lost my other one. But I'm definitely not the market for those clickety-clack rocks, and I think it's great, though. So Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that puts you in the minority, right? It certainly does. Us, like, yeah, that's why I mean, it's, I don't a, know it's a very you, dark admission, I think. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen me, but I, I like uh, obsessively line up 
the eight sets of dice that I have while I'm playing. (laughs) Even to the point of turning the D20 to 20 and the D12 to 12. It's just like a nervous little habit, but I would definitely consider myself a dice goblin. I love I love hoarding them. Oh yeah, that's actually like why I really enjoy Monster of the Week is because I don't have to roll dice. So uh... <laughs> it's two d six. That's it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because last time I was in a gaming store, I saw a big fat brick of d six. Like there was there must have been like thirty of them in there, and I was like, oh, I should buy that for Monster of the Week. <laughs> why on earth would you need thirty d six to play right, a game exactly. where literally two is all you need for the entire table? That does make me think of an idea that we'll talk about later. But yes, it sounds like a lot of fun. You know, I think that it makes me excited to go next year and see what sort of stuff we have lined up for us. It also makes me think uh, a lot about what we're doing in in November, actually, this year with our One Shot Weekend and talking to folks about that, which is where we have kind of our own mini game con where we play a bunch of fun games in a very cool place. So I'm so excited about that. So yeah, I guess this is a good place to end for this podcast. And I just want to say thanks everyone for listening. And please check us out on Instagram and at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. And our Etsy store is live. Absolutely. Thanks everyone. And we look forward to having you listen next time. Thanks everybody.